0: Well, moving the discussion back to the ruling of the ICJ, the ICJ having delivered its ruling, two p.m. South African time, and the comment thereof being, uh, you know, expressed by Nelari Pando, the state president. All of them putting out, uh, uh, you know, uh, discussions regarding uh, what they felt, whether they achieved uh, what what they wanted to, or even partially achieved, uh, you know, with the with, with, with that application that was uh, presented in front of the ICJ. Uh, the whole idea, of course, was to stop uh, the genocidal Israeli regime and their attack, their brutal attack on the people of Gaza, the destruction of property, the destruction of, of life, tens of thousands of people slain already. And let's not forget the West Bank as well that has seen elevated uh, aggression by the IDF post September October 7th but some may say that you know what it, it's existed in both places for as long as one can possibly remember. The provisional measures including a request for Israel to suspend its military operations in the Gaza Strip. Now how did South Africa exactly get what it wanted to? How would it impact the state of Israel? We unpacked some of the results of the ICJ ruling with the Attorney Ziad Patel. Assalamualaikum warahmatullahi Alhamdulillah, Patel.
1: Wa and for having you on your show. Um, I think today is a momentous occasion for South Africa and the world, and particularly on the people of Palestine, who have suffered tremendous oppression uh, since the Nakaba in 1948. Uh, to come back to the point of the International Court of Justice ruling, this is hugely significant. As in both legal circles and in the diplomatic and international multilateral system, there will be major ramifications for Israel as well as those entities that are complicit as genocide enablers. As uh, uh, that would be the United States, uh, the UK, and European countries. Uh, there's certainly going to be ramifications. Just to indicate to your to your viewers, the judgment was very specific it laid it out in a very well-planned manner uh, it spoke about an introduction the prima facie jurisdiction which south africa had passed the hurdle uh it also found that south africa as a state party had a standing uh to bring this application to the icj um, it also kicked out that uh, idea that south africa did not there was the court did not have jurisdiction because of uh, not a dispute not being uh, disclosed. Uh, I think that was a an argument that would not hold any weight. uh, And Israel failed on that account. Uh, But more particularly dealing with the rights whose protection is sought and the link between such rights and the measures requested. I think the court laid out a very detailed argument in relation to uh, South Africa uh, and what South Africa had placed on record. Uh, and actually found in favor of South Africa in that instance, where it found that there was prima facie evidence and plausible, that it was plausible that Israel was committing genocide. I will come to the content of that in a short while. Uh, it also dealt with the risk of irreparable prejudice and urgency. And again, it looked at authorities of previous cases at the ICJ, um, where it spoke about the importance of why genocide uh, in that context of genocide, when it is committed against a the population, there needs to be urgent protection. The court also saw that under the circumstances that Gaza is enduring at the moment, by the time there's a final judgment de- determination on the merits, uh, there could be real and imminent harm to the Palestinian people. And it found that there was irreparable, uh, irreparable prejudice and urgency. And also found in the favor of South Africa, And in the conclusion and measures to be adopted, um, it decided on the uh, the instance of previous authorities that it could consider the measures or the provisional measures that South Africa requested, but it could implement in return its own uh, measures or provisional measures. And just going to those measures, the court found at paragraph 78, it said that with regard to the situation described above, Israel must, in accordance with its obligations under the Genocide Convention in relation to Palestinians in Gaza, take all measures within its power to prevent the commission of all acts within the scope of Article 2 of this convention. And it makes reference to those incidents, killing members of the group, causing serious bodily or mental harm to members of the group, deliberately inflicting on the group conditions of life, calculated to bring about its physical destruction, in whole or in part, and imposing measures intended to prevent uh, births within the group. So that was significant. It did not go or extend to the point of saying that there must be an immediate ceasefire. But I can't mm-hmm. see how the provisions of the ICJ will not be implemented if there is no ceasefire. And if you do part of the judgment, uh, in, in the judgment, uh, it is also mentioned that Israel has to return to the court and provide information uh, in relation to what measures or steps it will take within one month to ensure that there is the prevention and the commission of genocide. So I think uh, as activists, as lawfare advocates, uh, over the main spanning over a decade of lawfare advocacy, starting from the Gaza docket in 2008, 2009, where Norman Finkelstein spoke about, you know, the continuous wars that were waged in Gaza was a, a part of mowing the lawn to actually limit Hamas's capability but also to suppress the Palestinian population. And I think it is extremely pertinent that when we talk about hostages, we need to be talking about the thousands of Palestinian prisoners uh, that are incarcerated uh, extrajudicially. Uh, They are forced confessions by children. Um, They are given no legal representation and they are tortured, which constitutes a crime against humanity. I spoke uh, quite in depth about this in 2016 at the United Nations Human Rights Council about the treatment of Palestinian prisoners. Um, So we've got to look at this genocide in context of the broader egregious crimes that Israel is perpetrating, which is war crimes, crimes against humanity, ethnic cleansing, genocide, crimes of aggression. These are all egregious crimes. And now that South Africa has um uh, requested an application to the international criminal court prior to the launching of the icj application i think it will give credence that the icj has found that there are elements and it is, is prima facie and plausible that genocidal elements and genocidal acts are evident uh and those acts cannot be committed or perpetrated by the state alone it has to be having it has to have principal or state agent parties such as the knesset the Kenyahu, um, um uh, you know other members of the uh, ultra right, which I call the Zaire nazi Kassas regime. These uh, elements have got; to they are part and parcel of this uh, of the genocide that is being perpetrated, and they need to be hauled to the International Criminal Court, as well as we must be utilizing mechanisms within our own in the uh, national jurisdictions, uh, which we've been doing to hold. Israeli commanders, Israeli recruities, Zionist institutions accountable because now I think the ICJ has made a clear and prima facie clear ruling that genocidal elements exist.
0: Ziad, all this while, of course, Israel uh, has acted with impunity. And some may say, whether it's actually genuine or not, because of the, uh, the, the support uh, extended to the state of Israel by a major role, global role player, the United States, UK and the European Union. The ruling of today uh, and, and the statement of that, uh, you know, of the panel of judges, how would it actually affect, or if so, in your opinion, the, the long term? If not immediate, if not today, tomorrow, but the long-term opinion of uh, U.S. lawmakers, the the, the POTUS, the office of the presidency, would would they be forced to take a step back and say, you know what, we need to review? If not, obviously, I I doubt, you know, ending would be uh, a really long shot here, but we need to review the extensions and the liberties we give
1: to the state of Israel. Absolutely. And I agree with you. I think we also got to just, you know, keep in mind that when you have a sitting president or a sitting prime minister, they are still being protected by the state, you know, so they would be protected by the, by, by the state in terms of, uh, you know, not being held accountable for their complicity in the crimes that Israel is committing with impunity. But they're certainly going to be considering the situation when they are no longer Public officials or state officials, and they become ordinary private individuals and citizens. Their actions and their complicity while they were in public offices will certainly will certainly be a concern on their on their side that they can be held accountable uh, for for this uh, crime of genocide. Um, we know and we are aware and we've been advocating this for many years that um, if the U.S. stops its arms supply. Which goes into billions of US dollars, which is then used and unleashed in Gaza and in the occupied Palestinian territories. Uh, of that uh, that Israel will, and the IDF will not be able to perpetrate the crimes that it's actually perpetrating. But its biggest uh, of suppliers and uh of, of of arms comes from the US and comes from European nations. And and ironically, uh, Israel uh, you know uses these weapons even in. Uh, even in the occupied Western teri- uh, Palestinian territories, and actually resells these weapons back to these nation states as battle-tested. So it's a cynical irony of uh, of this complexity of the military industrial complex uh, that continues to, uh, you know, challenge the world order of um, of keeping peace and harmony and, and, and global peace. And I think we also have to keep in mind that when we speak about the rules based order. That's something that is actually being brought in by the U.S. and other governments that don't want to be held accountable. So they will be rather held accountable by conventions, treaties and agreements or bilateral agreements, like, for instance, between the state of Israel and the U.S., with complete utter ignorance and uh, exclusion of international law and what international legal instruments say. And I think the ICJ judgment comes back to reaffirm that Israel has to abide with the international law and international instruments. Uh, and, and that has to always be above any other kind of rules based order. Um, and I think uh, listening to the Minister of International Relations, he reasserted that, that South Africa has again brought and introduced uh, you know, to the world that there is an international multilateral system in place to ensure that there's global peace and harmony. And that these uh, instruments need to be invoked and against Israel and against even those powerful states that have military weapons so that they can be held accountable. And certainly if they're not going to be held accountable, why the public or state officials, they will be concerned about after they've left office. Hmm.
0: Ziad Patel, shukran, jazakumullahi for joining us on Radio Islam International. Unpacking uh, some of the results and effects of the ICJ uh, ruling. And rahmatullahi wa wabarakatuh.